You're listening to a content production of Higher Things. Higher Things is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to make the gifts of Christ Jesus known to youth and young adults through gospel-rich content like you are about to hear. Consider joining our supporters who make this ministry possible by donating at higherthings.org giving or by clicking the link in the show notes. And now, Higher Things presents Why Bodies Matter with hosts Erica Sorensen and Pastor Harrison Goodman. God took on a body. Okay, so if you want to think, is our body matter is important? God put one on. Welcome everyone to Why Bodies Matter, the very first episode uh, in our first season, a podcast produced by Higher Things for their for youth and their adults too. The title of today's episode is Bodies Matter and Faith. I'm your co-host Erica Sorensen, along with Pastor Harrison Goodman. You said youth and their adults, sort of like dogs and their owners, and, and I'm just going to meditate on that for that's a little bit. How I'm thinking about it, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, because we're talking to youth, and if they want to bring their adults along too, they can. <laughs> yeah, um, Pastor Goodman, will you introduce our very first guest? I'm um, I'm really happy to. This is uh this is my 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 friend Pastor Bob Hiller, who is the senior pastor of Community Lutheran Church in Escondido, California. He is the author of Finding Christ in the Straw. He is the content editor for the Craft of Preaching and a preacher on You Are Forgiven Radio. He's a regular contributor to 1517 and the co-host of the White Horse Inn. Um, I think that keeps you mildly busy. Yeah. Yeah, and my kids play little league baseball too, and so that's uh that's what I do with my whole life. Yep. That's fantastic. Yeah. And we should tell you all if you're not if you're uh if you're listening but not seeing us or if you are seeing us, we all wore plaid today and it was That's totally right. a coincidence. Yep. It yep. is it's, it is it's not, not the, the generation uniform. speaking at all, I promise. No. This is so no, trendy. I don't think Gen Z wears plaid. Do they wear plaid or is that a boomer thing? I'm not I don't know. But I think it's X and Millennials. This is it? Is, yeah. This is yeah, this is our wheelhouse. We're showing our age, kids. Here we go. <laughs> that was happening either way. Flutter to make myself look like a like a boomer, like a, I yeah. got a I got a cardigan on, like like a boomer or Kurt Cobain, which is also probably not a reference anyone gets. Maybe to. some of them some of them like the old school music. I think yeah. it just I, think I don't it just, like that you, you call it old school. <laughs> well, let's talk about what we're we're kind of doing with this this season, season one of Why Bodies Matter, and and essentially what we're doing is we're going to be talking about. Um, what is the problem with living kind of this disconnected, disembodied age? And we're going to be talking to several awesome guests, uh, sort of in the chrono- chronology of, you know, human development from birth to baptism all the way, you know, through becoming an adult, uh, maybe getting married, maybe being single, uh, all the way to death. And so um, we have Pastor Hiller with us today to talk about us, to kind of talk about laying the groundwork of what does this all mean? Uh, Pastor Hiller, Luther talks about the fact that we have an incarnate faith. Can you explain what that means to to Christianity for folks who maybe maybe don't haven't heard that before? Yeah, so so incarnation is uh, first and foremost big theological word that's speaking uh, of Christ himself. So before we talk about our faith being incarnate, we need to understand uh, the incarnation, which is an event that took place in history. 
where uh, God became flesh, uh, the way the scriptures say it in the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so uh, the first and foremost, we want to talk about God uh, becoming incarnate, becoming one of us. Though he was without sin, he became uh, sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a there's a wonderful um, uh, line from Luther. It's really kind of a sermon illustration he uses where he's talking about the importance of the incarnation. And, and so if we're going to talk about the goodness of humanity and the goodness of our bodies and all of this, it's always good to remember, like, God took on a body. Okay, so if you want to think, does our body matter is important? God put one on. So important is this. Luther has this story where he says, uh, back when we were living under the papacy, back when we were we were listening to the Pope, we had this illustration where we heard uh, this myth about a day where the devil went to church. The devil walks into the church, and uh, at the point when everyone is standing up, because back in those days everyone stood up in church, everyone's standing up, and they said, uh, the word became flesh in the church service. And uh, someone didn't kneel down. And the devil runs up and punches the guy in the mouth <laughs> and says, you boorish bum, if we if we spirits had this blessing that God had become one of us, we would be falling all over ourselves, rejoicing and singing with laughter. Uh, uh, something along those lines. Um, I, I love this account because it reminds us of that God looks on us with such love and mercy. He created us and then says, when we mess the whole thing up and we, when we tear it all up and pour it into sin, God says, I'm going to fix it. By uniting myself to you, becoming one of you so that I can become one with you. And the Father sends the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to put on our flesh and become one of us. And this is this is a great joy, not only because God has seen fit to um, um, die for, to, to put on our flesh to become one with us, but he's seen fit to unite with us in our sin, to die for our sins on the cross. God can't die. It's the whole thing about being yeah. God. You can't die. Yeah. So he's yeah. got to become a man to do that. Only in a certain sense, he's a man who didn't have to die because he never sinned. Yet he takes responsibility for our sins. He takes the punishment for our sins, says, those are mine now. And so I will die in your place. And then he rises again. And here's again where this whole body thing becomes amazing. He rises again in the body so that the second person yeah. of the Trinity is incarnate forever. Uh, for, for, for all of eternity now, uh, Jesus is uh, a human being, with uh, one with us. And what he's doing now is he's ascended into heaven, is he goes before the Father, showing him the very physical holes in his hands and his sides, and says, I have died for those people. They are one with me. I am one with them. And my death was for their sake, so you can forgive them all of their sins. And God now has no condemnation left for us, because one of us has died in our place and risen for our salvation. Does that make sense? My totally. Yeah. It does, but it's so different than how the rest of the world wants to do things. Because I mean, like, it, it's not hard to sort of in the quiet parts of the night, look at yourself and realize like, this is the problem. So how can I get away from this? And, and sort of we, we want then a, a hyper spiritualized religion that gets me further away from me, which is the problem. Uh, and, and Jesus flips the whole thing on its head. Um, and, and it's one of those rare places where my regular words to, to Erica, my boss actually reflect his. So like, she asked me a lot of the times, are you going to be part of the problem or part of the solution? And I look at her in the ice, I'm going to be the whole problem. Um, and this is actually, 
This is what True our story, Lord does. Kids. He yeah. does not simply yeah. sort of like cast down a way for you to get away from yourself and become better. He becomes the whole problem. He becomes all of sin That's- and brings it to nothing. I'm stealing that for a sermon. That's really good. He becomes the whole problem. The whole so problem. that we might become the righteousness of God. It's and that beautiful. righteousness language is, yeah. is wonderful because it's saying he's putting us back the way we're supposed to be. I, you say yeah. something interesting, Harrison. That <laughs> we have this idea that the body is the problem. And this is not just something that's like new to our culture. This has been an issue from the beginning. I mean, I, I actually think... Uh, subtly in the serpent's temptation of Adam and Eve Hmm. is he says, you will be like God. That is, you won't be limited anymore. And what limits us? Well, it's it's our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And in creation, that's a good thing. Limits are good. They keep us in check. They keep us safe. They keep us healthy. Limits are, are a positive thing. But Satan comes along and says, the limits are bad. The limits are the problem. If you eat the fruit, if you really disobey God and start trusting me instead of him, mm-hmm. you'll move beyond the body. You'll move beyond the limits and you will be unlimited like mm-hmm. God. Um, mm-hmm. And this this is always the problem for us. We're trying to get beyond the limits that God has created for us, which are good and beneficial and loving uh, so that we can kind of become our own gods or 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 whatever. And we're seeing this now in very extreme ways, like in the uh, like the transgender movement, whatever that that is, um, where people are saying, "My body's the problem. Uh, yeah. Who I am is different from what I'm made of." And yeah, so that self-determination need- thing. Yeah, yeah that I determine what this body is, and I determine. Yeah, that's right. So that it's not I'm no longer a creature, but I'm the um, oh, what's the phrase in that? They always use it in the. Um, graduation speeches i'm the captain of my own destiny or something yeah, like this. yeah i'm sure. in charge of me in in every capacity um and it fails to recognize the fact that we're actually um in a beautiful and wonderful way creatures created mm-hmm. not to be gods but in the image of god and to reflect his image in the creation and to to have these responsibilities uh that are good and yeah. our bodies are a gift for us in this way I love that because you kind of, you put the graduation speech and it just got me thinking like the the whole point of the graduation speech to be the captain of your own destiny. It's pure discontent with right now. So like, I'm I'm going to pilot us to somewhere better. And it's the same thing with the the transgender stuff. We we can sort of throw political stones all we want, but it's somebody who looks in the mirror and says, I'm so dissatisfied with the right now that what can I change for a better tomorrow? And in all of it, it's great because you can sort of say tomorrow could be better, but now you're responsible for getting there. And we're right back to the problem. <laughs> there's a, there's a great quote I saw the other day um, by a theologian I really like named Oswald Bayer, and he says, uh, "Christian theology is self-destructive if it does not speak first and last about the good." And he's having a big, hmm. deep conversation there. But I but I was thinking a lot about this phrase, and I think we can kind of turn it on its head a little bit, and that. Christianity, Christian theology actually begins to destroy the self if we don't speak mm. of the good from first to last. And so, so what I mean by that is, Harrison, you talk like about the, like this that. future that we're looking for, we're, we're trying to build towards. But in Christian, Christianity, um, the future will come to us. It's all a gift of grace. What we need to understand mm. is that creation is good and it will culminate in being a good creation it begins good and it will end good and the problem right now is not the creation and it's not the body it's sin like 
hi, it's me. Well, I'm, I'm not a Swifty, but I'm kind of a Swifty. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's like, me. I'm the one who's doing uh, the problem here. But we begin with the fact that God creates things good with reason yeah. and order and purpose and design and, and, and relationships, right? Like this is all part of the goodness of creation. And though we've wrecked it with our sin in the middle of this wreck, God comes into the creation, becomes a part of the creation to exalt the creation. In fact, becomes a human being so that he might redeem and save human beings from the disaster we've created. Uh, resurrected is the language we like to use. Uh, raise us from the dead on the last day to be with him in a new creation, which we don't have to build. See, this is the thing. We're not in charge mm. of building the kingdom. We're not in charge of building ourselves to sort of uh, custom design ourselves to be the kind of people we want to be. What we are is a people who trust God who will raise us up on the last day and make everything right. Understanding that right now, it is going to be painful. It is going to be hard. The, the image of God is distorted, if not lost in us. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have a, a great problem that we have to deal with. But God has done that for us in Christ Jesus so that we look forward to the day when we know faith will become sight and tears will be wiped from our physical eyes uh, and we will eat and drink and sing and dance in the kingdom of God forever. Yeah. So Pastor Hiller, we're, we, all of us here are looking, um, at that on, on the side of middle age. Yeah. But if we wind back the clock and think about when we were going through puberty and middle school and, and those teenage years. Um, and I think this, this is common. Obviously we didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have all those things. Um, but I think there's a special thing that happens during the teenage years, which is you sort of, you, you just sort of feel crazy and uncomfortable in your body. Things just seem wrong. Um, and I think, and I think I can, I can say this pretty definitively when, when you're looking online and when kids are on social media a ton, everything is sort of filtered. Everything sort of looks perfect. Um, you have all this information and access to all kinds of things at all times. Um, and it kind of, I think, plays to, um, the worst of going through t those teenage years and how you feel about yourself. So, so what what would you say to you know to kids who right now are going, well, gosh, okay, God made me, but I just I don't I don't feel good about that. My yeah. I don't I don't like my body. I don't like how I look. I don't like what's happening to me. Um, what kind of comfort can we give? Because we're looking at it on the other side of maturity, and we're like, oh, it worked out fine, but. For them, it's it's very real and very difficult. So, what would uh, you say to them about that? I'll say there's there is hope. Uh, when I was in junior high, I was very self conscious. I had terrible acne, and I had a horrible haircut, and I had uh, and I had really bad uh, dandruff. And I tell you this story because when I was in sixth grade, I tell my confirmation kids this all the time. Uh, like I would go to my music class, which I was also bad at, uh, and there's a kid behind me. His name was Aaron. I don't remember his last name. Uh, but he would always rub my head like this and he would like shake my head and he go, look, everyone, it's snowing. He was the meanest guy I ever met. Oh. Uh, but there is hope because now I'm bald and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so, like, Don't worry, kids. <laughs> Receding hairlines are yeah. on the way. Um, yeah. So what I would say is this. You need to understand something uh, to, to the teenager who's listening. God made you and he delights in you. If you if you are baptized, he has called you his child. If you are not baptized, still know that you are a good creation, uh, part of God's good creation. 
And he has a gift and a promise for you in the waters of baptism to make you entirely new and to give you uh, new hope and forgiveness and the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But in all of this, we need to recognize uh, that God sees what he makes and he calls it good. There's three other voices, though, that we have to deal with. And this is this is a little bit of Lutheran language here, but I, I do think it's very helpful. There's three other voices we're constantly battling with, and especially in our teenage years. In our teenage years, we're always battling with the voice inside of our heads that says, I'm not good enough. I feel funny. Something is not right. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to dismiss that at all. Um, yeah. To acknowledge that something is not right is to actually show a great level of maturity. Uh, and honesty. Is, yeah, yeah. There is something yeah. not right. Things don't feel good. Now, some of it is just biological and natural, but some of it is spiritual. Some of it's emotional. There's, there's things that are just kind of wacky. Um, so this voice in our head says, what's wrong? And if we go to the world, the world will say, well, you don't look like this. You don't have mm -hmm. this many friends. Uh, look at all these friends that you thought were your friends, but they're out partying this week while you're at home. Maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you just aren't pretty enough or smart enough or uh, you, your, your level of dandruff is too high or, or something like is wrong with you that you're not welcome. So then... That starts to make us feel worse about ourselves, even though what we're looking at is a lie. Everyone on there is, um, the word I like to use is curating themselves. We think of you mm -hmm. go to a museum and they set everything up to look perfect and mm -hmm. ideal and pristine. That's what we do with ourselves online. We, we curate our lives to make them look good. But we all know it's a lie. We all know that that's not the reality we have. But yeah. we see the lie from someone else. And we're like, dude, I need to be that. That's what I want to be. And I'm not there yet. So I feel like garbage for it. And then the third voice that comes along, we got the, the sinful nature inside of us. We got the world barking at us, uh, enticing us to something that's not real. Uh, and then you've got the devil coming along who just wants to pile on and says, if we're only better, if you would only do this, if, 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 then you will become great, but you can't do it. What's wrong with you? You are worthless. You're just a pile of uh, whatever you're, you're just not figuring it out because maybe you're not worth any of that. That is. And all... did God really say? Yeah. Did God really say these things about you? Are you yeah. really His child? Yeah. Are you really a good creature, creation? Yeah. Are you really beloved of God? Did He really mean that, or are they more loved because of look how happy they are? Mm -hmm. Um, and all this is just a straight out lie because the Lord Jesus looks at you. And the Lord Jesus sees you and he says, oh, this is my beloved. This is my, this is, this is my brother or sister. I have become one with them in their flesh. And now I call them my siblings and I delight in them. There's that wonderful line uh, mm -hmm. where Jesus says, uh, uh, greater love has no one than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. So you have all these other online friends who are trying to pretend like they're perfect. But in fact, you have the perfect friend who doesn't look at you and say, I demand more out of you, but rather says, I'm giving you everything. I give you forgiveness and mercy and love and righteousness, and I'm bringing you back to the Father, and I'm making all things new, and you're part of that. This is a, this is a mercy that Jesus has for us. I, I think about this a lot with a lot of the stuff you hear um, with people who, who not only feel bad about themselves, but like harm themselves as a result, yeah. right? Like there will people who will cut um, and, mm -hmm. and, and they, will, they will harm their bodies. And I sometimes wonder if it's not 
and I don't, I'm no psychologist, so I'm just speaking as a pastor here. If you're someone who struggles with, with cutting or, or um, self-harm, it's good for you to go see a counselor, to get some good therapist, to find a pastor, someone else to talk to. That's, that's a good thing. But as you do that, you also need to know a few things about yourself, that you don't have to harm your body and shed your own blood uh, to punish yourself. Christ shed enough blood for you, and, and he suffered and died in your place, and he calls you beloved. You don't have to punish yourself. Jesus was punished on your behalf. Um, I, I think of these people who walk around and they see uh, the standards of beauty in our world. And I do mm-hmm. think it's a reality and it's an objective reality. But we've we've turned beauty into um, almost something merely sexual and not something that is to be talked about in terms of relationship and um, uh, creation and the yeah. good things that, that God has in store for us and gives to us. Um, if you're looking at those standards and you're saying, I don't look like those people, I don't I don't have that bone structure or my hair has less follicles than that person's hair. Like you look at that and you start to feel bad about yourself. God doesn't see you that way. Like there's coming a day you see through a glass dimly right now. There's coming a day when you will see yourself the same way God sees you and you, you will be overwhelmed by, by just how delightful you really are, especially in his eyes. Yeah. Um, so we, we have these standards that are placed before us that aren't true. And we have these expectations of ourselves that aren't even the law of God. They're just burdensome expectations that the culture has placed upon us that offer no forgiveness, no grace, and no love. And they put all the expectation on us to achieve. But Christ has come and made all things right by removing that for us. So so let me ask you this then. Um, Wouldn't the best thing to do would be to just sort of retreat, not hang out with anybody, but just kind of hang out with Jesus? Like what is the point of – what is it? You know what I mean? Just stay away from everybody. Just kind of isolate. That's my and, solution. And I don't know. Read your Bible. And okay. As, <laughs> but, as an introvert, but, I say yes. Are you giving advice? Because yeah, I will yeah. take that. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm leading up to. We've talked about the body, but let's talk about the body of Christ. Then yeah, what? You know, right. we've talked about our relationship with Jesus, but then why not just kind of retreat, get off your phone, um, stay away from all that, and just focus on finding, you know, Jesus in your heart, for example. Focus on your spirituality. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question. Um, first, I, I don't think the advice of getting off your phone is is that bad. I do think like setting yeah. up a limit for yourself. There was a, if you can quote such things, the Babylon Bee uh, the other day had some something, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like they found a new cure for gender dysphoria. It's called deleting TikTok. Yeah, um, and that's yeah. snarky. And I don't mean to be demeaning to anyone who's really wrestling with gender dysphoria, but yeah. there is a sense in which you get these images constantly pumped at you and it starts, it's formative. The yeah. medium uh, that you in, that you engage with is going to form the way you think, the way you see the world, the way you feel. We can't pretend like those things don't impact us because we are embodied and our bodies are impacted by things around us. So we have to be aware of that. That's not to demonize social media or the internet, but we just like anything else, you need to go in with a certain level of wisdom. But I will say this, if we go back to the goodness of creation, as you look at Genesis one and two, when God's making stuff, this language of good is always grounded in what God says. And there's one thing that God, so he says, let there be light, let there be dark, it's good. Let there be fish and water and land and trees and birds, and these are good. And then he creates Adam and Eve, and then he says, it's very good. But if you go to good, Genesis- Good, good. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, good, good. Code, code, yeah. Like the Hebrew yeah. there. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for real, for real. The, uh, <laughs> yes, I love that. The, uh, the Genesis two, where you get like the more sort of zoomed in version of the creation of Adam and Eve. Yeah. And the first thing God says is not good is that Adam's by himself, that he's alone. Okay. And so he creates Eve as a helpmate for him, a partner to him. And now he gives them this responsibility. And this is this is really quite wonderful. The first word to God, uh, from God to Adam and Eve is not uh, don't eat, but actually it's the opposite. It's take and eat. Look, take and eat. Yeah. This is my garden given for you. It's all gift. It's all Sounds great. Familiar. Yeah. Participate in all of this. It's all for you. I'm giving it to you as a gift. And you two, both of whom are created in the image of God, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So what has God done? Well, he's created not only the church by speaking his word, so this community that consists of us and our relationship to God, but he's also created the family and he's created mm -hmm. work and he's instituted these responsibilities that Adam and Eve and all people are to carry out uh, together. And so we, in our good creation, who, as image bearers of God, have been given responsibilities from God um, to serve our neighbors, to love them, to be there for them. It, it's easier for us, at least for an introvert like me, it's easier for me to retreat to my office and focus on my theology books and be like, yeah, I really mm -hmm. did my job today. That's not why God's called me to be a pastor, to just read theology in my office. Though I ask him sometimes if I can, he says no. Um, <laughs> my job is to bring God's word to other people, to be his voice in their lives. But all of us have responsibilities and jobs in our relationships. Children have yeah. the responsibility to honor their parents, to listen to their teachers, to work hard at school and to learn so that they can grow up to help those in need around them. To be God has created you. As a gift, he's given you everything as a gift. Your eyes, your ears, we say this in our catechism, uh, your yeah. nose, your reason, all of your members. All of this is given to you as a gift. And with these gifts, we are to thank and praise and serve and obey him. And serve and obey him is not just like we get down on our knees and we we, we genuflect yeah. before God 24 hours a day. That's not what we're talking about. Serving and obeying God means I'm going out to love my neighbor, to serve yeah. my neighbor. And this gets us back to your first question. What's well, an incarnational faith? Yeah. Well, it's a faith that trusts God, but uses our hands and our feet and our eyes and our nose and our ears and our mouth and our tongue to serve our neighbors, to love our neighbors, to work for them. Um, they need us. God has you here with purpose. He has something for you to do. Uh, Luther will say it this way in another spot. We are called to be uh, little Christs to our neighbors. It doesn't mean you're called to die on the cross for your neighbor. Jesus did that. He was enough for your neighbor. You don't have to save your neighbor, but you got to give them food. You yeah. got to, you got to clothe them. Uh, give you them a gotta, word of encouragement. Yeah. yeah. You got to show up. You got to, yeah. uh, for me, drive my kids to baseball, right? This mm -hmm. is where the Holy Spirit has called us to be. And, and he calls that stuff good. So our roles and our responsibilities in our relationships, um, this is part of, our embodiment. It's part mm -hmm. of our created role as people with bodies to use our bodies to serve and love our neighbors. So we can't just retreat. Um, yeah. In fact, retreating in that way, in a certain sense, does tend to dehumanize us. Um, it, yeah. it, it takes us away from the humanity we're called to be a part of.
And that's just terribly and, vulnerable. And that's yeah, hard. terribly vulnerable. Yeah. No, it makes us terribly vulnerable to other voices, um, yeah. other things that are incredibly unhelpful. Um, it makes us tend to do more navel gazing, meaning, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the more I'm sort of alone and thinking about myself, the more negative I become. You can kind of yeah. easily end up circling the drain. And so yeah. we really, even though I think we're all introverts, we all know that we, um, you know, we we still need each other to sort of encourage one another, be to feel loved, to be loved. You just sometimes you just need a hug, you know. Yep. Sometimes your friend just needs a hug. Yep. Um, and so I think the devil really works with the isolation, and particularly in this disembodied age, your our propensity to just go, oh, I'm bored, or oh, I you know I want to anesthetize a little bit, feel better. I'll just look at my phone and distract right. myself. Yeah. Well, and think about this: when we get on our phones that way. Again, we're, we're sort of curating the, the lives we have so that yes. we can make ourselves look great and we can sit in judgment of others who aren't accomplishing what we think. And so that that feels pretty good in the sense that if I'm alone with my thoughts, and this is how I am too, if I'm alone with my thoughts, I'm remembering all the bad stuff I've done. The devil loves mm -hmm. to play in the silence there in my ears and remind me of all the sins that I've committed um, and question, did Jesus really forgive those things? And I can either run to the cross or much easier, I can just pick up my phone and be like, yeah, but at least I'm not as bad as those guys, right? Yeah. At least I'm not like uh, that political party or I don't hold that opinion or at least I don't do it. And suddenly I feel better because I put my put myself in a position of superiority. Um, and, and in all of it, Christ is getting drowned out. We're dancing around this word enough. Um, either mm -hmm. you, you can look at yourself or hear online that you are not enough. And and, and like there, there's this inner part of you that is enough, but but like the, the, this part is not enough. Or you, you, you don't like that. So you go out and you find somebody worse off and you say, well, I, I, I am better than them. So I am enough. But what we have then is 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 a God who actually speaks to both your, your body and your soul the same way. Um, the world is, is going to kind of keep these two separate. Um, but, but Christ sort of, well, he becomes flesh we started this way and he wins you're enough on the cross yeah. and so it's not a disconnect between you know who you are and who you're meant to be anymore it's, it's simply you are redeemed and so yeah. you're you're who you are and who you're meant to be become the same thing even while you're struggling it doesn't have to alleviate the struggles to give you the victory that's that's what's precious about it. Now I don't have to love my neighbor perfectly. Now I just have to love my neighbor, give him a sandwich. I don't have to redeem them. Christ already did you're it. You're actually the, free the to do it. Enough is already taken care of. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. You're, you're actually free to do it instead of obligated because I know when I'm when I'm doing something for somebody, it's a whole heck of a lot more fun if I want to do it than if I feel obligated to do yeah. it. Certainly. Yeah. 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 This this enoughness language. Uh, a friend of mine, David Zoll, has written pretty extensively on this, and, and he's got a couple of books that are, are worth picking up on this. But he, th this language of enoughness always leaves us condemned. It's just yeah. it's condemning language, and we, we just are left always, I think you said it earlier, Erica, turning back in on ourselves, become navel gazers. Have I done this enough? And that's that's not the language of Christ Jesus, who says, I am enough for you. And that's what you were getting at there, Harrison. It's, it's I've done enough for you. You're free now from having to be enough. You are free, period. Love your neighbor. Fight against your sin. Are you going to do it perfectly today? Probably not. But when you put your head on your pillow, you know what you're going to get? 
the reminder that your sins are forgiven once again. Uh, always remember that wonderful line from Luther when the devil comes to you and says, you are not enough, you are, uh, you're too sinful. Uh, how could Jesus ever love someone like you? Look at all the things you've done today. Luther says to the devil, yes, yes, you've got quite a list there. Uh, but in fact, you've left a few things off that I am also thinking about right now. But what of it? My sins belong to Jesus Christ. You want to talk about those? Go speak with him because they're hanging with him on the cross. Uh, the record of sins counted against you has been blotted out, completely gone, Paul says in Colossians 2. And so the devil's got nothing left to say to you. Don't worry about your enoughness. Look to Christ who's sufficient for you and look at your neighbor and say, what do they need and how can I help? Well, I think that's a fantastic final word, don't you, Pastor Goodman? I got no way to top it. Thank you uh, so much, Pastor, for joining us. Thanks yeah, for Pastor Lurth, yeah, thank you for joining us today to discuss uh, our faith and this disembodied age. Turns out there is hope. Yeah, Fantastic. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, guys.